There we go. So I want to start this morning with a controversial question that is not rhetorical. You can answer it out loud. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. yes. Oh, I heard some yeses. And I see some shaking heads. No. Oh, I told you it was controversy. And then I have some like questions like, Die Hard? I've never even seen it. <laughs> uh, yeah, again, I'm showing my age. Okay, so let me ask some other questions. What about It's a Wonderful Life? What about Home Alone? Yes. But not Die Hard? Okay. What makes something a Christmas movie? What makes it a Christmas movie? Or what is the movie lacking that you say, oh, no, that's not a Christmas movie? Is it if it has Christmas songs on the soundtrack? Because all three of those movies have Christmas songs on the soundtrack. Is it the context of the movie that it takes place at Christmas time? All three movies take place at Christmas time. Must there be snow or Santa or a church or a tree? What makes a movie a Christmas movie for you? And I'm just going to, you don't have to answer that. But think about it. And then think about, have you ever experienced something that doesn't look like Christmas, but the Christmas story was present nonetheless. So did it ever have, was there ever anything that didn't have the trappings of Christmas, but it still felt like Christmas to you? It still had the story in there for you. Um, the other day, Ken was telling me about a painting he had encountered, and I'm sorry if I get the details wrong, but I, the, I think the, I'll get the gist of the story. He was telling me about this painting that he encountered where the artist had taken a scene a winter scene that she'd already painted, and she added new elements to it. And when an artist does that, I had to look up the word. Ken knew the word, but I had to look it up. Remarque. Remarque is the French. The Italian is pentimento. And both of those come from the same root word for repent. When an artist revisits their painting and adds something to it, they're repenting. Now, I don't remember the specifics of what the artist added, but when Ken asked her what she had changed and why, she said she had added in symbols that represented, represented significant aspects of the life of Christ. So a stream represented the River Jordan where Jesus was baptized. A tree was added to represent the cross, right? Things like that. The painting was not necessarily a Christmas painting, but the Christmas story was present nonetheless. Sometimes things don't appear to have anything to do with Christmas at all, but the Christmas story is definitely at their heart. In Dr. Seuss's masterful storytelling, we have the opposite. The Grinch takes everything that screams Christmas and uses them for his nefarious purposes. I love that word, nefarious. 
He takes the Santa suit and the sleigh bells, even the antlers on poor Max. I watched the movie again. I told you this last week, but I had forgotten the scene where he takes these, the Grinch takes these big antlers and puts them on Max and poor Max, right? His tail goes up in the air and his head's on the ground. And the Grinch, did you notice this? He cuts the antlers shorter so that Max evens back out. I got to tell you, that's a sign of love. I don't care who you are when you're taking care of your puppy dog that way. Anyway, Dr. Uh, the Grinch takes all of these symbols of Christmas and uses them for his purpose. But Dr. Seuss, in doing this, is revealing that the decorations and the traditional cold weather symbols we easily associate with Christmas don't have anything to do with the Christmas story at all. That's not what Christmas is about. In fact, Jesus probably never saw a drop of snow in his entire life. Right? Oh, gosh, did I hear a... <gasps> it's true. But the reason that the Grinch is easily able to misuse the Santa suit is because the Santa suit isn't at the heart of the Advent or the Christmas story. If someone took away all of our hymnals, could you still sing a verse or two of Silent Night? Right? Of course you can. And so the Who's, even without the holiday trimmings, they're still able to sing their song. Which brings me to another little fact about Dr. Seuss. I promise I'll have one little fact for you every week. So Mr. Geisel himself wrote the songs for the 1966 television special. Did you know that? In the process, he created a fictional language, kind of like the Trekkies who learn how to speak Klingon. He created a language with much more class. <laughs> He invented what he called Susian Latin. The song that the Who's sing, Welcome Christmas, began as Dahu Dino, and then it became Nuhu Phobus, until Geisel finally landed on Fahu Fores Dahu Dores. He said that this new language, quote, seems to have as much authenticity as a deste fidelis to those who are untutored in Latin. <laughs> Did you notice? Here's our little secret. Christina has played that song for us two weeks in a row now. That was how I knew that it was time for me to stand up because I heard her playing Welcome Christmas from the movie. The song we sang together this morning, What Child Is This? Greensleeves has nothing to do with Christmas. But we know the tune, don't we? And we associate it with Christmas, primarily because of our carols. But in this carol, What Child Is This? We recall the story of the wise men. Did you know the wise men, that story? It's only found in one of the Gospels. Only Matthew tells us about the wise men. It's a bit peculiar because that's the only place we see it. 
And in order to bring it in, like every year in the lectionary, we focus, the lectionary focuses on a different telling of the Christmas story, but we pull it in to make it fit as part of the Christmas story, even though Luke doesn't have it. But Luke's got this beautiful story about the nativity and Mark doesn't, John doesn't talk about it at all. Mark just says, and this happened, Mary had a baby. <laughs> and, um, and, but we bring in all of these stories together to fit in and give us what we know as the complete story. The gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh only feel Christmassy if you know the story of the wise men. But the wise men probably didn't show up until Jesus was two or three years old. They don't really feel very Christmassy, do they? Not like the angels and the shepherds and Silent Night. Yet, this is what Isaiah foretold. Isaiah foretold gifts of gold and frankincense and the little child who would lead them. It's not so much about the importance of the story isn't so much about the giving as it is about forgiveness. Because if you don't know the story from Isaiah, then you don't know the full story of the wise men. The wise men coming from the east represented Babylon. And Isaiah was talking to the people in exile and the people coming out of exile from Babylon. They had a lot of reasons to hate people from the East. And so the fact that these men come and offer and gifts to the baby Jesus and kneel down and worship him and are loved and accepted is a beautiful story of forgiveness that if you don't know the whole story, we've missed. This is a story about forgiveness of the enemy. The forgiveness of Babylon might not feel like Christmas to us. It might not look like it on the surface, but it most certainly tells the story of Christ who came to offer forgiveness to the world. Could it be that the Grinch might know more about the Christmas story than the Who's. Could it be that his frustration is that he thinks the Who's have been missing the point of the season all along? He lives alone on Mount Crumpet and never seems to be invited to the party. Their perceived lack of hospitality certainly doesn't fit our Christmas story. I don't think that's why the Grinch is necessarily upset. I think it's more likely that he's bothered by their noise and toys. But it gives us a good question to ask. I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming. For tomorrow, he knew, all the Who girls and boys would awake bright and early. They'd rush for their toys and then, oh, the noise. Oh, the noise, 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 that's one thing he hated. The noise, 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 noise. The Grinch is another. He's an outsider. With all the merriment and singing, his loneliness must sting.
Dan asked me if I wanted him to shut off the sound while he was moving the camera around and we were setting up and preparing. And I said, no, let them hear the noise. Because that's right. Thank you, Mallory. The noise is a sign of life, right? And how joyful to be able to hear that. But for the Grinch, who doesn't have that connection with anyone except Max, his loneliness must make that noise hard to hear. We could say he has lost all hope. Maybe it's hopelessness that leads him to steal the who's things in the night. For sure it is hope that has the who's waking up the next morning and singing just the same. Hope is the kind of language that inspires and builds and ignites change to the point where change is no longer needed. When the child shall be able to play by the poisonous snake's den, right? It doesn't make sense, but it makes change to where no more change is needed. Hope is the language of poetry. It doesn't need to make sense. It doesn't need a blueprint. But neither is it chaos. In fact, hope leads us out of chaos. Peace brings us into hope, and that hope shows us an everlasting peace. So here's the question to take away this week. If the Grinch were looking down on your household from Mount Crumpet, or on our church even, what might he consider most important to you or to us? Something to think about. Amen.